Welcome to the podcast, Don't Forget Me, about the life and times of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. Chapter 11. Now, uh, there's another song here, Power of Love. Is this one with you uh, as a solo, or is this the whole group? Yeah, no, this is one of the first songs I did as a, as a solo performer. Mm-hmm. What can you tell and, us about it? Did you write it again? Uh, yeah, I wrote it again, and that was uh, probably the last song that we did. Uh, we had we had uh, no more. Um, we had a full record deal with, with ABC Paramount and APT, and we, we um, finished those, and this was sort of a last gasp. We got an arranger whose name escapes me, who was a pretty a well-known arranger at the time. We went to a studio in New Jersey, and we did that with uh, two of the members of the Shirelles, who are uh, my backup um, girls singing in, the, singing in the background to Power of Love and, and Loved in Vain on, on that particular uh, session. But we never even got a label to pick it up, so it's never been, really never been released at all. This Power of Love. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well... Uh, you feel, I, I think that my voice at, at that time was the best that it ever was. All right, well, um, let's give a listen. What do you say? We listen to it, all right? All right. Okay, Don K. Reed here in the doo-wop shop on the Belmont Internet Radio. And my guest, Scott Stevens. The Cavaliers, of course, was his group and still is his group. And here he is uh, solo with uh, something called Power of Love. That's it, the power of love and uh, the power of rock and roll. You can't beat it, right? You had a great time. Wouldn't, uh, you'd do it again if you could do it, right? I mean, you wouldn't ever change anything, I'm sure. 
Well, I mean, maybe you change it that you'd be a your group would have number one hits after hit. But I mean, what what you went through, you'd you'd do it again, even if you know it was going to turn out the same way, because you had a lot of fun, right? Yeah, I think I think so. You know, there were certain decisions that I may not have made, but you know, it is what it is. You know, for the most part, I think we got we got a lot further than you know than. Then ninety five percent of the groups that were out there at the time, we got a lot further than most of them. I mean, you had, had a record. You recorded. You you made appearances uh, on TV. You uh, you were there a couple of times on television, and you were uh, doing shows around uh, different areas. So that's pretty good. I mean, a lot of groups didn't get a chance to do that. That's right. So I, I'm I'm fortunate, to, and I'm fortunate to be. You know, I, very few people could say that they were in on the beginnings of rock and roll and where it is today. Exactly. A lot of writers don't get a chance to work on a, a, a biopic, a, a biopic, if you want to say that. I, I've had the chance to work on three total. I think this one's the, the largest one, like span-wise, both time-wise and story-wise. I think there's a part of this story that's about missed opportunities. When Steve had a stroke, I think I had finished, I finished one draft really fast. And then I think by then I was finished with like the third draft and, and people were reading it at that point to see like, is this a movie that they, is this a movie they wanted to make? When you, when you do a story like this, and like I said at the beginning, any story, but particularly a story like this where you're setting it 50 years ago in another place, it's complicated to get everyone on board and get the story moving. So to speak, because uh, you know, I I I I started to, I started to go. I graduated high school and I started to go to Bronx Community College, but then I got another. I got a job at Alexander's Department Stores and became an assistant. Became a department manager and I went to school part time at night. Uh, so you were working at the department store. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. And how often you were performing weekly or monthly? Seldom. Okay. You know, I was. I still had a couple of album, uh, two more records to go on my. On my um, on my uh, my contract with Paramount, mm-hmm. um, and we put them out, and they didn't do anything. I, but I was still working. I still had a, a real job, and I was doing this after work and uh, and college, whenever I could fit it in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when I got married, um, I had one more record left on my contract, um, and I was a buyer at Gimbal, assistant buyer at Gimbal's, mm-hmm. and I got fired because I was can- I was just concentrating on my last recording for Paramount and I was out of work for about a year mm-hmm. and I said to myself I just can't do this I got to put my music away pack it away and I didn't take the guitar out for you know they asked me to sing even at holidays and things and no I couldn't do it because I was afraid I'd just jump into it again and forget yeah. everything else and I, I had family at the time you know we had two kids and uh, that's when that uh, Bobby Pedrick story, when Bobby Pedrick called me when I was a manager at the Temporary Help Service and said, you want to come to Paramount with me and be a co-writer and we can perform together? And I said, nah. Mm-hmm. And he went on to record uh, Sad Eyes mm-hmm. and was number one on Grammy Award that year. And yep. That was uh, traumatic mm-hmm. for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I go back to while you were at Gimbal's? Like, so you'd gone solo, but then you sort of went legit, right? You like yeah. got this girl, right. and you have babies coming, and you're working yeah. a couple jobs, and you're writing your new album. What did it feel like then, though? Did you? What was it like at Gimbal's? Like, what did it feel like 
to not be doing it full time. I hated, hated the work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a job that I've had in 50 years that I really loved. Mm-hmm. It was just, for me, it was just work. And it was boring and tedious and n- not fulfilling at all. It so what did it feel like to say... It was, no like, it was like I was in prison. Yeah. That's so when Bobby like. called, what then? What yeah. was that like? Say it again? When Bobby called and you said no. Yeah. I, it was, was, I, like? I was hard. I was beside myself. Mm. Beside myself. Because I had to make that decision to say no and hang up the phone. Did it make you resent what you were, like, what was the balance there? Like, did it make you resent, like, oy vey, like, I've got to deal with all of my kids and I've got my life and I've got my wife? Yeah, yeah, you know, I guess when you, you don't really think of it. As a matter of fact, then I was working two jobs. I was working as the head of, uh, of a temporary help service in their local branch, and then I was the head cashier at EJ Corvettes in 34th Street in Manhattan. And writing an album. And, and still, every, every once in a while, no, by that no, time, at that point, I wasn't doing right. anything. Right. Music was out. God, that must Music was out, and it was hard. And then, you know, my family members said, please, you know, just sing at the holidays. So I started singing again at the holidays. And then I wrote Five Cents in My Pocket. Like I was out of work again. And then I wrote the Five Cents in My Pocket song because um, I was looking for a job, and the whole, the whole story about Five Cents is interesting. How did you get through Sorry to keep perseverating on this, but, like, how did you get through that period when you weren't making music? Was it just the being with your kids or, you know, at that time your marriage wasn't your favorite place to be, right? No, it was th- <laughs> no, it was not. I mean, it was good for a couple of years, but... Sure. It was went, just starting went, to not be... No, it went, down, it went downhill. Ten years into the marriage, it was, um, it was not good. You'd given up too much, or maybe no, both of you had or something. Just the yeah. uh, things that were happening with... What she was doing was, uh, there were there were many many times when I could have should have packed up and left. During this span of time when you were, were pushing music away in terms of your career, were you still enjoying music? Could oh yeah. You, could you help I, yourself? You know, you, okay. You, you know, Beatles came out. I had every Beatles okay. album. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the Grateful Dead came out. I had it. I had every one of their albums. Uh, just all of them. So it was all it was still a bit of an escape, but just in oh, a different yeah. way. And I, yeah, and Moody Blues, mm-hmm. I, I went to 12 of their concerts. <laughs> I mean, I, right. I was so into their music. Um, and I was into it. And, 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 you know, you could ask my kids. I mean, they, they, they was, they're all into the music now because of the fact that I was into the music. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so you let yourself sing along. Oh, yeah. You just didn't let yourself sing lead. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, then I was uh, uh, head of a. Uh, I was with the Knights of Pythias, so who you know, I I talked them into producing a rock and roll show. So I actually, actually produced and directed a rock and roll show for the um, for the. And I didn't sing at that show. You didn't perform. I did not sing at that show. I ran the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Took me. It took a year out of my life to get all these people together and book the acts, and mm. the Shirelles were on it, and and uh, oh. the Chantels and the Harptones and the Cleftones and the Belmonts. And um, Henderson, um, the Merry Mailman's son, Joey Heatherton was, uh, no, Joey, Dick Heatherton. He was uh, MC on, on CBS FM Radio. He was our MC for the show. Unfortunately, we held it at Walton High School in the Bronx instead of someplace in Manhattan, so we lost $6,000. Oh. 
But I had fun doing it. Yeah. So oh, I, I if you, somebody wants me to produce a rock and roll show, I can do it. You're the guy. I would like that. <laughs> I'm the guy. And I, and I sang at um, some of the dance functions of, of the Knights of Pythias. I sang and I came out with some new songs then. Uh, that's when I came out with Five Cents in My Pocket and actually performed it there. And mm -hmm. Some of the oldies groups were at that show and I sang with them. And, and there were reports that I would come back out. And then I got to back together with Steve Weil mm -hmm. and we wrote this song called The Old Neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And uh, but then he died two years after uh, we got back together after not talking to each other for twenty five. Did years. you perform? Um, did you perform f again? You know, at that showcase, basically before or after Steve died, Steve Wiles died. Uh, before. So, did you guys write that song, "The Old Neighborhood," after that performance? Yeah. Okay. You know, once we reconciled, we reconciled. Uh, I think 15 years ago. Or so. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And so, um, can I ask you another intimate question? Because yeah. you can feel free after this. You can yeah. just like ask me everything, and I'll be like, okay. "Oh boy." Okay. <laughs> so, when you were away from your first sort of your first love is music. I mean, it was your first love technically. Mm -hmm. Of course, mm -hmm. you there's a real strain to the whole story about sort of integrity. You wanted to be different than what you had seen and what you had grown up with. Did you ever feel when you were away from your release, from your escape, and in like full domesticity and doing the homework of the day-to-day -day work and in a marriage that was starting to not be exactly what you wanted, did you ever worry about being like your dad or how did you avoid that? Um, I certainly wasn't like my dad. I believe that. Yeah. But how did you avoid it? Uh, I just, just because of what I went through, I, I swore to myself that it would never happen again. Mm. I think I, I think I patted my son on his rear end twice in his entire life. Mm. That was it. There was, there was, you know, been, sometimes they say that I wasn't a disciplinarian enough. I said yes, I was. Mm. I was. I never, I never touched my kids, both verbally or physically. My mother was a verbal abuser. My father was a physical one. So she would say, she would insult you. Yeah, she used to curse us in Yiddish. So she didn't think we knew what she <laughs> was like, saying. I looked but it guess up. what? <laughs> I know, I had a Yiddish yeah. grandmother. Yeah. Whenever I used to go to grandma's house, I used to say, Grandma, what's this? <laughs> she says, who's saying this? Who's saying this? I don't know. Just, Just tell a me kid what it school. is. <laughs> so I knew exactly what my mother was saying. She never. You're like, how dare you, Mom? <laughs> Two weeks later, you're yeah. double angry. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she did Yiddish cursing to me. Mm. That was her way to, to mm. spout off a rhetoric. So even when you were, like, so what did you do to feel peace? Just be with your kids? Like, what did you do in those years, the sort of, the years well, where you were making I was very music? involved with the kids. Yeah. And, and their you know, sports activities. My son joined the football team at, at high school, and I became president of the parents football parents association. I ran their shows. Awesome, Ran yeah. their dinners, uh, did their vending at the, at the games. I mean, I was immersed in stuff, and I, I, I had two jobs for 15 years. Yeah, I, I, I think I said just the kids. Yeah. Believe me, I do a lot of just the yeah. kids myself, yeah. and it's the opposite of just. Right. It's a beautiful thing. As a matter of fact, I obviously, at one point in, in the relationship when my son was growing up, I was away so much between mm -hmm. the two jobs. I was working like 80 hours a week between the two Oof. jobs. So he... Um, he kept on playing this song over and over and over again as his favorite song, and his favorite song was Cats in the Cradle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That'll make you yeah. cry. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. So that mm. was his... Uh, so I remember I was, I was a head cashier at 
EJ Corvettes. And one of the one of the cashiers didn't come in that night, so they asked me to pitch in on one of the registers. So I'm in ladies' dresses. Mm -hmm. And this woman comes over to the register and she starts giving me a hard time about the selection and the quantity. And this is just ragging me and ragging me. And finally I said to her, I said, you know what, lady? I quit. <laughs> I just slammed the drawer. To, went up to went up. To, I I don't even think I did. I I I went out out the front door. I said to the guard, "Bring these, bring the keys to the register up to personnel. I'm out of here." And I never walked back. That was no. it. If you because, don't mind, I yeah. want <laughs> visit something that's not that is I'm surely painful. But yeah. um, talk a little bit about the tension in your household with you being gone a lot, your marriage not working as much as you want. What was you know, what were some of the things that kind of pulled you guys apart? Uh, I really don't want to go into that. Okay, all right. So Just, part of it, I'm sure, was because you were gone a lot. No. No, okay. No, that wasn't the reason that okay. the, the marriage ended. Did you reach out to your musical, like, to what degree in that phase of your life? Did Because all of you were not working, most of you, except for Steve Wells, mm -hmm. right? And maybe Bobby, like, weren't working in music. You had all gone into different things. To what degree did you guys touch base? And were there moments that that happened? Never. We didn't. We just lost track of each other. And, and every once in a while, I'd, 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 I'd talk to Jackie, uh, but uh, John had gone to California, um, and uh, Lloyd had disappeared. I think he went mm. down to Florida. Mm. Um, Junie was was gone. Yeah. Steve Weil eventually passed away. He was he made a lot. He lived in a very exclusive, in Great Neck, Long Island. He had his own, um, he was a distributor for Fisher Stereo Systems mm -hmm. and was making a lot, a lot of money. And then he had a falling out with his partner and had a fall from grace and he lost a home in Great Neck. And, oh, come on. Uh, and Dirty tricks. That's, that's when he called me and we became friends again. Is it accurate to say that the fact that you had two jobs was... A financial decision oh, to yeah. package together the salaries. Mm -hmm. So, how did you deal with the aggravation of you, you were employed so far below, not necessarily academic formal training, but of course life experience mm -hmm. and your and your capacities to handle much more complicated things. Were you actively pursuing other jobs, or was just the market so bad for employment at that time? No, that was, I, not, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was, no, we've got two minutes for this. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I went to temporary, I was a manager of temporary health service, I was in temporary health service for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Then I moved positions, and I changed careers, and I went into uh, to payroll services, and was an executive with ADP and uh, Bank of America and manager of a lot of their branches. and uh, But I had other jobs, too. I, I worked for a company called the Raymond Lee Organization. That's a funny... <laughs> Should we stop there and, and like start with this is a whole This is <laughs> yeah. a whole scene from, okay. from, from a show that you can do on... Raymond Lee. All right, then, then it's then an stick invention a developing it. company. Stick a pin okay. in it. We'll you talk gotta, about you it. Gotta, okay. You got to hear this right, one. This right. is funny. Okay. Look at 
As a writer, you choose some of your stories that you're going to tell, and then some of the stories that you're going to tell choose you. And this one is preserved because Steve, but there's so many elements of this that are very Stand By Me-like, uh, which is a classic, classic movie at this point. It's one of my favorites. And when you look at what happened to these kids and their lives and, and the ones that were cut short um, versus the lives that keep going, there's an element of this that's very much like a musical version of the never-ending story. And we tried to capture all of those elements in, in, the, in what was the first draft. I don't know. If it makes it to screen, when it makes it to screen, I don't know what that'll look like. But I do know that like once you put life into these roles, there is so much here character wise. You know, I'm only able to scratch the surface in a screenplay or a limited series podcast. But there's just so much more to all of this. <laughs> Pass 
for joining us. This is Don't Forget Me, a podcast about Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. Music and words are adapted with the permission of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. We hope you'll continue with us on the rest of this limited series and musical adventure. Check the show notes to find out more about Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. <laughs>